Well, I want to encourage you, grab a Bible. If you have your own, turn to Romans chapter 12. If you do not have a Bible, there are some on the seats around you. What we are in right now is a four-week series. And uh, we as a church are prayerfully discerning what is a theology? What is a correct understanding of worship? For many of us, when we hear the word worship, automatically we think of a brother or sister in Christ standing up in front, playing their instrument of choice, using their vocal cords, whatever it is, to lead the body of Christ in some songs, in songs of worship, right? And, and we even have our particular groups of musicians that we go, oh, have you heard this worship song? Whole churches have been divided over this issue of worship, right? The reality is, they're not divided over the issue of worship. They're divided over the issue of style of music in worship. But we're going, you know what? Worship is so much bigger, so much, so much more grand than the way that we play our songs. In fact, it's so much bigger than the 15, 20, or Roseland hour and a half of worship that you take place up here, right? Uh, God bless Rocky, but, you know, it, it's more than th- this team that stands up in front. Worship is more than that. I've shared the story that, uh, for me, one of the pleasures that I have as a pastor is being able to officiate at weddings. And I, I get to stand up in front with this, this, this groom who is scared to death. He's standing up there. He's wearing a type of clothing that he never wears. And he's in front of all these people. And... Uh, you see the, the, groom, the groomsmen and bridesmaids walking forward. You know, the bridesmaids are very deliberate, holding their flowers and walking, you know, in step to the music. And the guys are just kind of walking down, smiling. And they come up to the groom, they high-five him. And the groom is just going, what have I done? Where am I going? They've, their hearts are beating hard. Then the doors in the back shut. And usually, he gives me that one last look. And I give him the, yep, here we go. The music changes. The doors open. And he sees his bride. And you see on his face, something is happening. Some guys, they, there's just this smile that, that goes from ear to ear. It's like, there she is. There she is. Look at her. Other guys, you'll visibly see the pit stain. They'll start sweating more than they have ever sweat before. Other guys, one of the weddings I was at, officiating at, tears just start coming down their eyes their face. And here's the reality. That is a small picture of what worship is. 
as the bride is being revealed, there is a response that takes place. And so we looked at, as a church, we started at, at Romans chapter 11, where after 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul says, he has been breaking down God's story of salvation for the church. He says, listen, you are broken, messed up people. You are totally depraved. You are, you are not pleasing to God at all. But God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen you. And He has given His Son, Jesus Christ, given His life, His life blood, so that you may have life. And at that moment, you are justified. You are made alive in Christ. And Paul is just breaking this down, breaking it down. And he's getting all this theology in his head. And all of a sudden he goes in, verse, or in chapter 11, towards the end he goes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable of his ways. For who has known the mind of God? And who has been his counselor? And who has ever given him a gift that he should be repaid for from him? And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And the church says, Amen. Paul breaks out into this doxology, this song, this this worshipful experience because God has revealed himself And he has to respond. So we've been working with this. There can can be no theology without a doxology, without glory being given to God. Because true knowledge of God will always, will always lead to some form of worship. As God reveals himself, As God reveals himself, you should be led to worshiping him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Not just your voices on Sunday morning. And so Paul goes on in chapter 12. He says, then I I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to Him. For this is, what? Your spiritual worship. Your whole bodies is spiritual worship. It's not just, hey, Jesus, I'm going to give you my heart. I feel really good about this warm fuzzy I have internally. It is saying, I am giving you all of me. All of me as worship. And Paul instructs us, instructs us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is holy and pleasing to him. And this morning, this is where we're at. So you've got a little bit of a travel log. Sorry, at verse three, follow along carefully with me. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body 
we have what? Many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. So Paul is saying, listen, I have shown you, I, I, God has revealed himself to you, how he has saved you, redeemed you, brought you into a whole new family, transformed you into a different person. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. For the old is gone and the new has come. Okay? So we are new creations. And Paul says, listen, your life has got to be a living sacrifice. It is to be worshipful. All of you has got to be worshipful. Offer your bodies. And then he goes and says, now, now let me talk to you and get real personal. Paul says, at the beginning of three, for by the grace given to me. For by the grace given to me. Now, let, let, let's get a little bit of a definition of what grace is. Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll says, this is the definition. Grace is that which God does for mankind through his son, who is Jesus Christ, which mankind does not deserve. He, he can't earn it, he can't deserve it, and will never merit it. That is grace. And Paul is going, I get it. Here, here's the reality. I was the guy who was breathing out murderous threats against the church of Jesus Christ. I was the guy who was out persecuting them, bringing them out. I, I was the one who was out to destroy the church of Jesus Christ because I thought they were an abomination. But on the road to Damascus, something happened to me. God showed his mercy to me and poured out his grace upon me. I did not deserve it, but God poured out salvation upon me. He opened my eyes, and what happened? I am a new creation. So Paul is saying, that's my story. For by the grace that has been given to me, I, I am appealing to you. First he said, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God. And now he says, by the grace given to me, as a brother in Christ, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider something. Do not think more highly of yourself than you should. But have sober judgment about yourself. Now this is not one of those, you know, I, I'm just Paul. Woe is me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. It's not that kind of a view. It's not saying, I'm just not worth anything. He is saying, listen, in view of the grace of God, the mercies of God that have been poured out of you, you need to have a right view of yourself. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. That whoever 
believes in Him, but have? Oh, isn't that beautiful? Okay, so he says, by, by the grace given to me, which is also, by the way, given to you, each of us. By the, don't think of yourself too highly because you know what? The one who has saved you is who? Jesus Christ. You did not save yourself. There's nothing that you could do to save yourself. There's nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. Don't think of yourself as a superhero. Pastors, get over yourself because you know what? It's even by the grace of God that you've been saved. And he has given you this privilege to minister to the body of Christ. So don't think of yourself too highly. If you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a children's ministry worker, if you're whatever you do, don't think of yourself too highly. Because it's not about you. Who's it about? Jesus Christ and his gospel. In fact, I want to jump ahead. If you look kind of smack dab in the middle, you've got verse 5. And it's easy for us to, especially on a day like today where we look at each other and go, we're, we're kind of a diverse family here today. And, and get really excited about the first part of 4 and 5. So we, though many, are one body. Don't miss this. So we, though many, are one body. Who? Where? In Christ. That is, that is the central piece to this whole thing. You are found in Christ. So don't, don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think of yourself too low. But think with sober judgment. Think in view of God's great mercies and His grace that has been poured out to you so undeserved. Think about that being found in Christ as a central thing to your life. I'm found in Christ. And this unity that we have, the unity of the body of Christ, is created in Jesus Christ. And what this phrase, in Christ, means is that the interwoven unity that we have together, the unity that we have, is created and brought about by Jesus Christ and found in Jesus Christ. So one simple way to say what this means is that each of us is in relationship to Jesus Christ and therefore we are in relationship to one another. So if I am Christ's brother and you are Christ's sister then you are my sister. If I am Christ's brother, and this is Christ's brother, I'll even say Jay, if he's my brother. We are brothers. And so I wonder what this has to do with this afternoon. If I am Christ's brother, and you're Christ's sister, you're Christ's sister, Christ's brother. And we're part of the body of Christ, which is created in Christ, through the work of Christ. 
I wonder what that has to do, how that changes the way that we interact and we work together this afternoon. How when we, we eat together, when we go through the line together, when we hear each other's children crying or laughing, how does that change the way that we work together and play together, laugh together? Does it? Oh, I hope so. Or else I'm going to send you all home. Get back on the bus and go. Because it's a waste of our time. But we've been created in Christ. And here's the reality. This is a theme that you hear from the Apostle Paul constantly. This in Christ peace. Here, listen to this. And I I need a little bit of your participation. There's going to be some verses thrown up here. We see in 1 Corinthians 1.14 that we receive grace in Christ. Romans 3, 24, our redemption is? In Christ. We are justified? In Christ. We have forgiveness of sins? In Christ. We have no condemnation? In Christ. We are a new creation? In Christ. We have eternal life? In God supplies all our needs? In Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in heaven? In Christ. We will be presented to God perfect And we cannot be separated from the love of God. So, do you get that? We are found in Christ. You, all these things are individually true of you. And they are corporately true of us. If the church of Jesus Christ could get this. Could you imagine the transformation that would take place in the southwest suburbs of Chicagoland. And in Roseland. Could you imagine if we said, you know what, in Christ, this is true of us. We believe this is true in Christ. So you know what, together, it's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for us. Ready to lock arms? For the sake of His kingdom, for His fame in this world, for His renown, let's make it true in our neighborhoods. Let's make it true. Because we've been redeemed together, justified together, created again together we every need is met together loved by god together perfected together living forever together and in the view of god's mercy and his grace in christ as a response to god's revelation in a response to the truth of the gospel in response to that Paul is saying to the church, hey, do you see this? Paul is saying, hey, you are to worship God through service with your gifts that he has given to you. He goes on and says, listen, though we're many different parts, you see this in 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about there's many different parts of the body, the eye, What if the eye said to the ear? What if the ear said to the eye? The mouth said to this. I don't need you. That's ridiculous talking. We need each other. And so Paul goes on and says, listen, even though you're many different members, you're all part of the body of Christ, and you're individually members of each other. In other words, you need each other. This feels kind of good for me to say this, but you need me. And I need, yeah, yeah, I need you. You need me. 
Without me, there, there's something missing to the body of Christ. And the same is true. If you are missing and not using your gifts and your talents and passions for the kingdom of God, there's something missing. It's incomplete without you. We need each other. We need each other. So Paul says here, having gifts that are different according to the grace given to us. Because you all have different gifts. You have talents. Praise be to God. Is it Miss Betty who helps out with all the food stuff? Where is she at? Is she she in here? Okay, look look at this beautiful lady back here. If it, she is the food queen. And you know what? We need her gifts for today, don't we? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And, and same with the rest of us. Northminster, today, you guys serving, you are critical to the unity of the body of Christ. You are critical to making this day happen so that God is, God's going, you got it. You're making this all happen. It's making the body of Christ happen. Way to go. And God applauds and says, yes, exactly. You're getting it. Everything is firing the way it's supposed to fire and work together, tied together. You got it. Way to go. And he's saying, so if you've got these gifts and you've got these talents, use them. Use them. And he says how to use them in proportion to your faith. How how much do you believe the gospel? How much do you believe and trust that Jesus saved you and has redeemed you, has changed you, is transforming you? How much, how much do you believe that? Because the more that you believe and trust in the one who has saved you, the more that you are going to say, Lord, use me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. To take my whole life, Lord. All my gifts, all my talents, all my, everything that I have. My finances, my thoughts, my passions, my marriage, my children. God, have them. Use them for your sake. Lord, just take them, Lord, please. They're yours. I'm putting them on the, the, the altar for you to consume and to use for your sake. It's not about me. It's about you. You poured grace on me. Lord, use me. Use me. Use me. So as believers, according to John MacArthur, he says, we are all interrelated in a spiritual body. And he has designed us to work uniquely but harmoniously as his own body on earth. To be his own hands, his own feet, his own voice. We share a common life. That's what I love about today. We're sharing a common life. A common ministry. A common power. And above all, a common head found in Jesus Christ. We are endowed in countless different combinations of the specific gifts mentioned here and elsewhere in the New Testament. But it is our Lord's design and desire that our diversity in spiritual gifts 
be manifested in the unity of spiritual service. And this is an amazing call for the church. And it's amazing identity. That being part of the body of Christ and individually members of one another, there is more to be discovered about yourself in Christ than you ever dreamed. And there's more to be discovered about ourselves in Christ than we ever imagined or dreamed. And Christ will be honored and more honored and more honored by every discovery that we make together. Missio Day Church, Roseland, guests, friends, Northminster, my challenge this morning and beyond is that we work with more intentionality in discovering each other. Because without each other, something is missing. That we together discover and discern the will of God. That together we serve side by side. We play side by side. We laugh and we cry side by side. And here's going to be some of those true tests between the Roseland family and the Missio Dei family. The true test is going to be when the first person from Missio Dei makes a phone call to a Roseland family member and says, Hey, my child is getting baptized today. I want you to be a part of this covenant family and make vows with with me. And vice versa. Or if there is a, a 50th wedding anniversary in the Roseland family, one of the natural phone calls is going to say, Hey, Paul, Pastor Paul, we, we would love for you to be a part of this because you're part of our family as well. Or if you have a free Saturday. I don't know what that looks like. But if you have a free Saturday... And your family is saying, you know what? I, I don't know if Raphael and his beautiful family has anything to do, but I'd love to invite them over to our house for barbecue. In fact, I think I'd prefer to go to his house because I hear he's a grill master. So I'm going to invite myself on over. Right? Those are little signs that the kingdom is being more discovered when we integrate our lives together. Together. So we are going to be coming to the table that Jesus has set for us, His his final supper with His disciples. And it's a beautiful picture of how he He is sitting there reclined with His disciples the night before He's crucified, and, and he shares a story. You know, on, on the night that I, I'm going to be betrayed, he takes bread with his disciples. He takes wine with his disciples, and, and it is shared. 
But it's more than just a, a sharing, a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is deeper than that, as we discovered here. It is recognizing, one, our unity in Christ. Though we are many and have different gifts and talents and different places, we are one in Christ. Saved together, redeemed together, changed together, spending eternity together. That's what we're going to be doing. So all are welcome to this table. Those who believed in their hearts, have believed in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and have confessed with their mouth the same, that He was risen from the dead, all are welcome to this table. If you, however, are not at that place of, have not yet believed that and are still discerning that, I want to encourage you, sit back, watch, listen, ask questions. But this is a meal for those who are in Christ. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of blessing. Saying, this is my blood in the new covenant. Poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We come to this meal together. As brothers and sisters. In Christ. We're going to have two spots set up. Right and left. After spending some time discerning, asking God for forgiveness. I will ask you to come joyfully to the table, to one of the stations for the body of Christ broken for you. Would those who are serving please come forward?